I'm delighted to share a fascinating interview with industry stalwart Mike Scully. Over 45 minutes, Mike tells me the stories of Dubai's legendary Barasti Bar. Mike covers the early days from Barasti's formation as the clubhouse for powerboat racing in the late 90s, its considerable growth and some of the important external drivers behind this growth, including the South African Sports Channel, the impact of tourism in the aftermath of 9-11, which uh, saw the Meridian and Barasti look local and firmly position itself as the place to be in the Arabian Gulf every Friday. Mike also talks about how he managed to drive revenues when running at full capacity and how Barasti managed to break through the million dirhams per night ceiling and become known as the world's busiest beach bar. Huge personal thanks to Mike. If you want to get in touch with him, he can be reached via LinkedIn or via his company website, which is First and Foremost Hotels. So please put the kettle on and enjoy Untold Barasti Edition. Thank you so much for, for making the time. It's really appreciated. I, w I was just uh, giving thought the last time I saw you. I'm not sure if you recall. It probably was about four years ago at the Sevens. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, was, I was over from Singapore with a, a group of friends and um, you know how it often you get the buses from the Sevens, you can go to the Irish Village or you can go to uh, the Long Bar at the Towers Rotana and obviously Barasti is one of the more popular ones. But when we got to Barasti, the queue for the bars and everything was, it was pandemonium. So I said, oh, we'll go instead to Fibber McGee's. So we left via the lobby of the Meridian. And before we went through the lobby, I was telling uh, telling my friend, oh, it wouldn't have been like that in Mike Scully's day. He had everything really regimented and well looked after. And as we got to the front of the hotel, you just pulled up in a taxi. That's so I, remember, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. We all went back in and uh, the first two or three waiters didn't recognize you, but the fourth did. So within seconds, you had a glass of wine, you got us a bucket of beers, and uh, normal service was resumed. <laughs> but I do vaguely, I remember that actually, going back in there and a group of you following, and I didn't realize it was you, but oh, that's, that's, that's good. And you spent the rest of the night there, no doubt. Yeah, we did, and they had uh, DJs on the beach, and there were thousands of people there. So um, yeah. that, I think it would probably be 20, 2016 that would have been. Okay, more than likely. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I spent more. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mike. So, um, talking about the early years at Barasti, I, I was in the Middle East from 2008 to 2012 and had some fantastic times there. But I think that's a, around a decade after it had already been open. So, would it be possible to tell us a little about the early days and also the, the formation and foundation of your uh, coffee business, Coffee Planet? Yeah, so so Barasti was was was. I mean, I was very fortunate to get involved with Barasti because I was um, taken out from um, the UK with the um, Holiday Inn Group to open um, the Crown Plaza on Sheikh Zayed Road, and um, and I think we went out there in about two thousand and three. We the the Crown Plaza was at that stage going to be the the biggest mixed use development hotel in. And certainly in Dubai and, and probably in, in, in the Gulf, which had a, a fairly large retail uh, sector, um, a, a hotel, a residence, and, and an office block in it. 
Mm-hmm. And um, we opened that, and and uh, very successfully, it, it was it was a great. I was out there as as um, assistant FM, as an FMB director, um, having been resident manager with the Crown Plaza in in uh, the Midland Hotel in Manchester, which was one of one of the most fantastic um, uh, of Victorian old hotels, old British Rail hotels, and well, um, had a he was boxing in Manchester, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, and the Midland was a magnificent. And you know, I got the job as resident manager, having just left South Africa, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I'd worked in Sun, Sun City in South Africa, and, and everyone wanted. You know, Sun City was 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 the the rarest metab center. Almost, it was the Las Vegas of of the world. You know, there, there are very few places around the world. You know, Macau hadn't started, and that, where they were, where they had this this. Tremendous energy with with um, dance shows and gambling and boxing and everything, and the real razzmatazz around was Sun City. And, and and I came out of college and and, and really learned my. You know, it was probably the best place I could ever have have cut my teeth was a place like Sun City. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. and and that sort of gave me the energy. And, and I got this job as resident manager of the Midland Hotel purely on the back of, of Sun City. And you know, I did four years there, and then we went into a, into a recession, and. Um, in the UK, and they got rid of resident management, and they said to me, "You know, do you want to take Dubai as a new opening as an FMB director?" So I thought, "Absolutely." Anyway, went out there, opened it, and um, pretty soon after we opened it, uh, you know, in those days there was nothing there. It was an old military special forces base, um, DIMC, yeah, where Barasti was, and they. Um, they started doing, um, they were building a clubhouse there and they did all the World Powerboat series. And everything for the World Powerboats was done with a, with a, on a tent on the hill. You know, there was no infrastructure at all. And I, I got to know um, a South African guy there who was, who was managing, a guy called Chris Chadwick. And yeah, he said, look, here, we're looking for catering options. And a bit of it's done by um, you know, the ruler at the time, Sheikh Maktoum Maktoum. And, um, but they can't do the whole thing, and we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, a lot of money was being put into into class one. And he said, do you, "Do you guys want to help us?" And you know, here for, for us it was a fantastic opportunity because we just opened the the the, the Crown Plaza, brand new hotel in town, and to go and get a job to to do all the catering for for the the um, the, the the class one was was a great opportunity. Anyway, so we got involved and did that, and um, through various reasons yeah i actually set up the contract for crown plaza to take the whole development with two new hotels coming obviously you know we knew that the plot was big enough for two hotels and yeah they're already earmarked two hotels anyway for various reasons crown plaza decided not to take it and so the guys i was dealing with in the government um side harib and uh, it was under sheikh at the time said you know do you want to come and um well i gave them a proposal for me to come and, and help develop it and that's, that's it. That's how I, I ended up going to DINC to develop it. And um, at the time, they'd started this little shack. You know, it was, it was a, there was a builder's hut um, in the corner. And they, you know, they decided that because it, it was a sailing club and there were a lot of local kids there, they didn't want alcohol in the, in the, in the clubhouse. And we said, well, we can't run a beach club and an events place without, without alcohol. Anyway, it was through various decrees, it was agreed to have this little builder's hut turned into a bar. And that was the start in, of, of Rusty, really. And um, 
it's uh, just developed. And you know, in those days, we were doing bring in, bring in barbecue, you know, and obviously me being South African and the, the community. And, and, you know, people started coming out. And um, there were two catalysts that we, we had that really drove um, Barusti. And, and that was um, the first real one was, the, the, I don't know if you remember MNET. The, the satellite, South African satellite station. Anyway, um, quite a few of the, the MNET guys um, were, were in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia, and they were setting up the back end for various um, you know, cable or, or satellite TV systems. And um, one of them one day said to me, look, you know that you can get MNET here in Dubai? I said, really? You know? And at that time, there were no cable, there was no satellite TV thing. And um, it was just before one of the big Springbok rugby, um, either Springbok rugby series or a World Cup series or one of, you know, one of the, one of the big. Anyway, um, we said to the guy, look here, I'll give, you, I'll give you three memberships. Can you set it up for us? Anyway, mm -hmm. Three days later, we had this dish on the, on the, on the top of the building and we were showing World Cup Springbok rugby, and we were the only people in Dubai. Yeah. And showing it, and we packed in. I mean, that clubhouse was so packed, and, and, it, and it was, I think it must have been a World Cup because we had every English person there, we had every Welsh person there, we had every South African in there, and we packed, and we became the, the go to place, you know, and no one else had it, you know. So, so that was a, a, a real catalyst for development and driving, uh, driving business and, and creating Brasti. So that and then the in 2003 World Cup, I'd guess, the one in Sydney, Australia. Probably, yeah. I mean, we're talking about, I've got some dates, I've got some dates down here. Um, what, what year would that have been? Um, 2003. 95, 2003, you say? Potentially, yes. Yeah, yeah, that uh, yeah. that would that would make sense. Um, that I'd imagine almost exactly then. And then, um, or even the one before that, could have been ninety nine. Ninety nine, yeah. I mean, if started to to uh, ninety five, so it'd probably be the ninety nine one. Wow. Okay. And. Um, and, and, and it would be because at that stage we didn't have Meridian built yet. Okay, so this is predating the hotel, yeah. So it's, pre, it's predating the hotel. And, um, and then the second big, big catalyst for driving and, and the success of, of Barusti was the, um, was 9-11. Was and whenever I give any lectures or talks at any of the, at, at, you know, the colleges or the hotel schools, whatever, I always talk about this. And it's so important that you know, people remember re reactions and, and what happens in certain times, because you can, at some stage, you can, you can pull back on it and, and create business, and create a story because you remembered what the, what the reaction was. And 9-11 um, and was significant because in Dubai, I had worked in London um, for at the Novotel in Hammersmith, the 600-room hotel, mm -hmm. which was a, which is, at that stage was a very. This is before I had gone to the Midland, and um, it was just and uh, uh, um, Lockerbie was significant in that we had two sectors uh, because it was a 600-room hotel. 
and you know, six months of the year was the Japanese tour, tour business, and, and six months of the year was the American tour business. And, and Lockerbie happened just, uh, I think, when the, as American tour business was either getting going or finishing, but it was definitely in the, in the American cycle. And, and, and when, when Lockerbie happened the next day, and we were probably the, one of the biggest hotels in London, uh, filling up with, with tourists and, and groups, Globus and various guys and Jack. And um, our hotel was empty. Literally overnight, no one traveled. No one got in, in, into, 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 into thing. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I'd lived in that and I'd seen the reaction to that. So when 9-11 when happened, literally that night, got the whole sales together, team together and I said, look here, we've got to put something in the paper because tomorrow there won't be one single tourist coming into Dubai. So we put an advert into, into the local, into the Gulf News or whatever it was. And we, we said, as of today, any Dubai resident can have um, a room at, uh, I don't know, 150 rand, uh, dirhams or whatever, whatever, whatever the price at the time was, you know, which was, which was, which was good for, for, for Dubai. And on Friday night, we we're having a beach party at Barasti. <laughs> well, I tell you, you've never seen anything like it. From next morning, that phone didn't stop ringing and we were full. Everyone, everyone else, 15%, 20%, whatever it was, and we were full, 100%. <laughs> and that first Friday night, we must have had two, three thousand people. Wow. The next Friday night, we had five thousand people. Mm-hmm. Following Friday, nine thousand people. We had bars literally going right down down the beach. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And it, it, that was, was was significant because that made that Friday then became the, the go Dubai became the go-to place every Friday from then on. Mm-hmm. And we just packed up and we started the music. And we had a little Rastafarian guy, old, uh, what's his name? The guy from Mauritius, a great musician who got everyone going. We had the Irish guys. And, um, you know, it just, it just became this, this thing. And I, I remember trying to model it on a, on a place in Cape Town, the Hout Bay Hotel. Every, every Saturday afternoon, the Hout Bay Hotel would have a jazz, off, a jazz day. And boy, the whole Cape Town went down to this jazz thing. And we tried to sort of model that, that whole entertainment thing where we and we put barbecues on and and it just that started getting it that got it going and um from then on it just carried you know we built the meridian and was with the build meridian had been built by the time um, the thing because that was obviously that's how we we filled the rooms and then uh, the western came along about 2013 and we just packed that all those places out and and it was more because of of Barasti than anything else because so many people wanted to come to Barasti you know, and, and secretaries went there, so they booked people in. They, they liked the fact that it was, you know, we always said that the success of Barasti was it didn't matter what age you were, how you were dressed, and where you came from, what race you were. It didn't matter who you were, where you were, how you were. You were just as comfortable at Barasti. And, you know, you can have someone who was, they stopped in there in their black tie before they were going to dinner, and you had someone next to them in their slops and bikini and, shorts you know and age made no difference and um, you know we also kept the pricing at a, at a reasonable level so we, we were never overly expensive you know we always kept uh, kept up with Dubai price you know Dubai got very got extremely expensive mm-hmm. and um, so we always but we always kept it just a little bit below everyone else um, and we, we had a very strong membership very strong club membership club membership 
you know, brought us tremendous loyalty. People brought their friends, they ate, they drank. Again, we kept the price, price of, the, of the loyalty, of the membership at, at a le level which was acceptable to everyone. I know, you remember it was at that time when, when and, and I, I remember fighting madly with, with various parties over that time, between 2003 and 2008, when Dubai was in that bubble, you know, that, that property bubble where everything was going. And every, the greed in Dubai was just immense because people were making so much money. And, you know, as people would open a beach club and they would be charging you know, 60,000 a year or 100,000 a year. Yes. And, you know, I think our family rate was sort of 25, 30,000 a year or whatever it was. And everyone would say, why are you not putting the prices up? Why are you not putting up the price up? But, the, you know, we had this tremendous loyalty. I mean, had a lot of people who supported us from the early days. And, um, you know, and, and we didn't. And, and I, I know when, when I left, um, you know, there was a big push to push all the prices. They went and doubled the prices and they lost 50% you know, of their members and, 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 and all that and everything and all the spend and all the, the room loyalty that goes with it. So it's a, it's a day, you know, it was a dangerous game to play with that, with that bubble, that bubble set up. And, you know, we sort of never got ourselves into, although Dubai was in a bubble, we just did good business. Well, I think that 2008, the, uh, the, you've talked there about um, appealing to people through music policy and everything else. The thing that struck me about Barasti, like you said, you would have uh, expats there, you would have Emirati guests there, Lebanese, tourists, people from a very broad range of nationalities, and you would have shisha and, and different appeals to different uh demographics and different segmentations so was that always the case from the early days or, or were there proactive changes that you made to try and attract certain markets no just it just it was just it just developed that way it, it's mm -hmm. you know and um, as our membership grew you know, i mean right in the beginning because i was south african and recently from south africa we had all the south african community there you know and then obviously with the rugby that brought the South African and the British and the and and you know all the, the home nations and they all came in and suddenly we had them there and then we had you know we had the, the, there were only two beach clubs if I remember right the, the, there were two beach clubs at the time there was the Hilton Beach Club which was mm -hmm. which was a lot more expensive than ours and remember we had no facilities you know we only went and put that little rock pool and against and we had we had a barasti you know, we had the barasti I mean I don't know if you know what the word barasti means but barasti is the um, is the reed, the spine of the of the um, palm leaf? Okay, that's called a barasti. And so, yeah, you know, we took the spine, and that you know, there's there's the slats surrounding it was was barasti, and that's why it was called barasti. And so we had no very few facilities and a couple of prefab toilets in the in the place uh, in the early days. And um, and so yeah, you know, we we charged very little, and we had this great beach, but we had a bar. People could yes, drink. It, just, it just it just developed and. As Dubai developed, we developed, and yeah, we 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 never went for yeah. There, there was other clubs which opened up, which went for the more the smarter crowd, as if you like to call it, or the crowd who was slightly more discerning. Whereas we tended to get this the crowd that was the family crowd, mm -hmm. the crowd who 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 just wanted to have a good time, you know. Well, I think, um, and and it's really timeless then, rather than fad or trend led, right? Where you can have. Uh beach bar that that is fashionable for a short space of time but then it it has a, a far far shorter shelf life than something which remains consistent to its dna it remains you know the place still to go today 
Yeah, and you know, you didn't have to change your costume three times. You just went there and had a good had a good time as such. And um, you know, I remember yeah, later on, yes, there was a, an article in I think Seven Days, and the, the, the headlines on it was was this place is not made M A I D for you, mm-hmm. and it was a, at a time where you know, you know people started bringing their maids with them and. You know, I, we just found it was really unfair because you know some people were treating their maids nice you know, in a way that they would you know they'd allow them to eat with them and sit with them and do everything, and others would you know, not allow them to do anything. They had to be in the boiling sun while they were all sitting in their bikinis and and they had to look after their children. and And we put a stop to it, and because we just didn't feel it was in the spirit of of what we wanted our, our club to be, and um, it created a big uproar within certain communities who wanted to have their maid with them, looking after their kids so that they could relax. In fairness to them, they could, they could do it. Um, but we just felt that within our club ethos, we didn't, we didn't like the way it was done in a certain body. So we put a ban on, on, on maids and anyway, created an, enough of an uproar to be headlines in, <laughs> in the seven days. And, and, but we had tremendous support as well amongst a lot of people who, just, who, who understood exactly where we came from. And, um, and, and to be honest, the people that, that, that we did uh, turn around, yeah, very often a lot of them came back and said, look, we see exactly why you did it and, and mm-hmm. how you did it and, and, and what the, the, the ethos of the, of the, uh, the property was. Makes so, sense. You know, that, so that's really where, where we came to with, with, with that you know, and the type of people that came in. You talked about uh, one of the big advantages being that there, there being a World Cup when you opened. Aside from rugby, Barasti was also the, the place where you'd go to watch football. I remember watching Lewis Hamilton winning his first ever Grand Prix with you and Stuart Dale in, in the main bar. So did the sporting events and the large mass participation, was that present ever since the early days or did you just sort of evolve when you saw the success of the rugby evolve to, towards showing other sporting it became, it, became a, it became a big big part of it because it, it, you know, because we had mnet and we were the only ones with mnet and anything before showtime and i mean i actually got taken to court by by showtime and um, well, the club did and obviously i was the you know, i was the manager at the stage or the hotel and um, because they obviously had to protect their rights because they, they they couldn't have this foreign station being used and it was all fine until it said i mean we had had a policy even at that stage that we wouldn't show anything publicly which was being shown on showtime mm-hmm. or whichever whichever channels you know because i think two or three of them came online and um, anyway obviously they had to put a stop to it and because too many people had mnet and and weren't paying into you know the license fees in the local region but yes no i mean that was whether it was football rugby athletics olympics whatever it was you know we we showed it and so entertainment whether it's sports entertainment or a guy playing a guitar was was always part of our our, our game and, and part of why people came and people liked it and you know uh, you know and we tried to segregate we were big enough to segregate so if some people didn't want sports hopefully there was someone they can find a corner without being overrun by sport but no in essence uh, the big stuff was always there fantastic and it, the the influence of um food and beverage outlets and Obviously, they're profitable and the revenues are very high in their own right. But what's often overlooked and isn't possibly appreciated if you haven't spent time in some 
cities like Dubai, Shanghai and other places is the importance of food and beverage and actually driving room sales. So could you talk a bit about your experience from that perspective? Yeah, look, we, we have always believed that if you look after the local population, they will look after you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything about any hotel we, we've, we've opened, I mean, I, I don't know if you were around when we opened Ibn Battuta Gate. I mean, Ibn Battuta Gate was, was just after the 20, uh, 2008 recession. And yeah, I stayed, one... stayed a few times on trips from Abu Dhabi, and uh, Andrew Hughes remains a good friend. So we used yeah, to be okay, well, there a go. preferential and... rate to stay there, yeah. But we opened that hotel with probably one of these most, I mean, where, depending, you see where it is, right out in the middle of nowhere. The Tough opening location, of that hotel, yeah. most successful hotel openings ever. And we did that with the key to the gate. We did this, this fantastic, and it turned out to be a fantastic um, opening um, where you, you bought, the more you spent, the more you'd get back and you got this key and then there were prizes and you could win various things. And, and it just took, uh, it took everyone, you know, it, it created a spark. And um, it was all geared around food and beverage. And you know, food and beverage is the key, I believe, to entertainment of any, any hotel or, or development. I mean, you are, there are your three stars and your four stars now, which you know, are rooms only. And um, you know, it, it was, it was at a time, and I mean, you, if you were with Hilton, you would, you would know this, that there was a time when the big brands actually despised food and beverage. And the reason they despised it was that all their management contracts, and it was a, there's a phase in, the, in, in, in management contracts at the time, that management contracts would be, um, you, you'd, have, you'd have your percentage on, on revenue, and then you'd have your percentage on, on, your, on your GOP. And you know, if you got 25% to 30%, you'd have 2% and 30 to 35, 3%, 35%. And the higher your GP went, the higher your returns came in as a, as a management company. And that was a highly, highly dangerous form of management negotiating with, with all the owners fell into. And it was obviously led in by the, by the operators because they knew that through rooms they could get that the higher GOP. And in order to drive the higher GOP in rooms, they effectively wanted nothing to do with FMB. And FMB just bombed within all the groups. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, and, and very fortunate, I like to say fortunate for, the, for our owners, that, you know, I, I'd been put in there and, and I was actually, I'd been the manager. And then when the brands came and we took brands on, the management, we stayed on as the management. And, you know, we were very fortunate in being allowed to keep the, the spirit of, of operating on an almost an independent basis with having the advantage of the brands. And that was, um, and to be, if you can ever get that in today's world where you have the advantage of the brand and you can have an independent operator who respects the brand, but can drive the, the, the heart and soul of a property, mm -hmm. you will have a real winning um, formula. And it's actually, is a formula that we are in the process of developing now. You know, I was saying to you right at the beginning, if we can, mm -hmm. we're in the process of, uh, we're in partnership with a company called Livet, mm -hmm. and Livet do, you know, they do the Cove Beach Club at Caesars Palace, they do Cove Abu Dhabi, mm -hmm. they've got various, um, they've just taken another Mississippi 
in, in Dubai. And you know, they, they, they really are, they do what now what we used to do in the Brusty days. But it's all about vibe. You know, they've got a, they've got Ibiza, they've got STK and Ibiza. Mm-hmm. And these guys really know how to do that in a way that I wouldn't know now. You know, we're out of it. You know, 20 years ago, I was doing it. Now I need a partner with guys like that, but with, with the same philosophy and the same. And we, and we really, you know, we would go in and we we're very happy to take in the brand mm-hmm. and, and, and um, to get the advantage of the brand, particularly where you know it. And, and uh, I mean, you can't get away from the fact that the banks want a brand involved. People who lend to it, they want the security of a brand. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, in some places, um, the brand and basic food and beverage works, and that, and the property doesn't need more of it. And then you know, we're not needed. But in a case where um, you are needed, and 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 the brand has not got the ability to run the the F and B in a way that it can drive rooms and drive um, you know, and the spaces available, and you you need to have that. You know, today there's a, the, it's all about vibe, the vibe restaurant setting. Mm-hmm. You know, where you, you, you don't go. The nightclub days are almost over. You know, it's all about you come in, you have a, you have a table, you eat, you stay there. The lights get dim, the music comes on, and you stay there for the night and you carry on drinking. And, and you stay one place, socially distanced, and that is the, the sort of new norm. And that was coming in before COVID. Yes, you know, not quite as as socially distant, but. And that, and, that's, and that is what we're developing and where we're going. And through that, we will drive tremendous rooms to the brand, to the owner, and he gets the, 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 the advantage. We are so, remember in, in terms of Dubai, the, um, whether, whether it were friends from Wales or whether it was anybody that were coming over, because Barasti was as popular and successful, they were, Westin had already opened when I was there six months after. So, Westin really was the the popular hotel where where they would want to stay because the, they wanted to be attached to Barasti. So there were so many anecdotal examples of people staying in Le Meridian or Westin just because they didn't want to leave, <laughs> so that they would stay there because they knew Barasti was there. And you also, I think, did a very successful ladies' night and brunch at Westin, which again drove lots of uh, corporate bookers and and again associated rooms business absolutely i mean they they were tremendously successful but i must i must um yeah i must say that we we weren't the the inventor of the ladies night. i think of or, or, or the brunches i think the brunches were invested invented at the um meridian dubai where oh. they did the first ones and they and they were massively successful and we obviously at the far end of town we were also we were obviously meridian and we were part of uh, at that yeah. stage of the starwood were involved but yeah, Starwood eventually bought it. Now it's gone to Marriott. But we, you know, in those days, um, yeah. You know, so we, we we jumped on the back of that, and then I think the ladies' nights. We certainly were one of the stars. Is it called Bubblicious? Yeah, it's Bubblicious. Uh, Bubblicious was the was that. That's right. Yeah. And then, um, but the the ladies' nights. I mean, they they become became massively successful. I mean, we were running almost the whole ground floor on, on ladies' nights. And and again, you know, every secretary came in. Everyone who's booking, they all came in. They then would book people into the hotel because they liked the, the food and the and the design and, and whatever else we had with it. And so they, yeah, you every could, lady working for Emirates Airlines seemed to be there also. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I don't. You know, you can't be. Um, I don't know how you want to, to but but you know, to get to have good-looking um, people in your bar brings 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 crowds. You know. 
And with, with male or female, and I mean, you know, the latest bars where they have the best looking male barman or the best looking female barman or waitresses mm -hmm. or, and clientele as well. You know, to, to have a cool crowd is, is a, a recipe for success. And um, you don't just get a cool crowd, a cool crowd has to be earned. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the name of, of, of the game is, is, to, is to get that crowd in by entertainment, by offers, by being the place to be and you know, people, people follow people. You know, I remember having in, in, the, in the days and uh, you know, before, before I left, there were times when we had queues outside on the, the road, miles long for people to come to Brusty. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd have uh, general managers from, from almost from the creek would phone me on a, on a, on a Sunday morning and say, Cascali, you know, you emptied all our bars last night. And <laughs> the whole time, come up to Bristol. <laughs> you know, yeah. It was just packed. I mean, you know, and then obviously as Dubai got, got busier and then, you know, Atlantis opened, they started doing it and, and various other places started competing. And, and I think that was about the right time that I, I moved on. You've been and, in terms uh, of longevity when you opened in 1999 and Barasti is still one of the places where someone will get off the plane and go to, you know, today in 2020. Can, did you think it would have that, that sort of longevity and, and what really do you think gives it that longevity, Give it, particularly in a place like Dubai where bars and restaurants open, they close maybe, change concept after one year, after two years, it's so competitive. What do you think really allowed that longevity and the fact that people still go there in their droves? I think I think your you know your your old adage position position position. I mean, let's face it, it had position. It had a great outlook. It was on a marina. It was on the water. So it had a lot going for it for a, for a, for a start. Mm -hmm. And longevity, you know, sometimes there's a danger about being too cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you go for the cool market, then you've got to be prepared to stay cool. Mm -hmm. And that can often cost a lot of money. It's there's, a, there's a, every number of op, um, uh, new, new outlets operators looking to take your business, be uber cool, super cool, super, super cool. <laughs> and it just goes on and on. And to maintain that is very, very difficult. When you, when you have a place like ours, where, as we said earlier on, you know, it didn't matter where you're from, who you were, how you were. It, it you know, I think even, uh, you know, you'll find that the, the demographic of, of that had changed where, you know, maybe they went for a younger crowd lately. So you didn't get as many of the older crowd with us. So you did, so possibly it, it never, it didn't maintain right at the end, although you'll still go there, possibly not as popular for all ages as, as it was. It's now, I think, a, a younger destination. Uh, which is fair enough, you know. That's that's the way they wanted to go and and, and take it, and yeah, you know, I would have I would have personally just kept it mm -hmm. in the realms of where we were, just for what it was. But yeah, they put that built the beach club, and mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure they make a lot of money, so I'm sure they're fine. Under your leadership, what what awards, accolades, or what what year would have been in your view that the peak, and what fills you with the most pride about looking back on the Meridian, the Westin, and obviously. Barasti. You know, I, you know, we never, we've never been the type to go for awards. You know, I've, I've always been very anti-industry awards because uh, so many people, it's like, you know, it's like a chef who cooks for other chefs and not for the customer. Yeah. Or for, you know, the sales and marketing team which go for awards, which, 
uh, make them look good, but don't necessarily um, necessarily what the customer uh, in the best interest of the of the customer. And I think whatever you do, you've got to be in the best interest of the customer. And you know, the best accolade that we ever had was that everyone knew us. Yeah. You know, everyone knew Scully. Everyone knew the Barasti. Everyone knew what we were doing. Uh, it didn't matter where we went. Ah, Barasti, and they could tell you a story about Barasti when they were there. And that, to me, was that was that's the accolade that we wanted. You know what I mean? We didn't need awards. We didn't need to be. We were called the busiest bar in the world at one stage, whether we were or not. I mean, in revenue terms, I wouldn't say we were far off. I mean, we were taking huge revenues. And I, I'm and, thinking about revenues, and I think if if you take out Las Vegas and and those huge mega beach clubs that they have there, I struggle to think of anything of the scale or volume that the Barasti in your heyday would have had. Oh, I don't, I don't think they were, they, they were, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, we were taking a million dirhams a night. And I remember, you know, we, we, we got to a stage where we were taking uh, on a, you know, two nights a week, three nights a week, we were taking 850,000 a night. Wow. And um, I went over with the A&E guys and we went to Las Vegas to a bar show. <laughs> and it didn't matter if there were six people deep or three people deep, you know, three nights a week, we just couldn't serve more than the system didn't allow it, yeah, and and we 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 realised that that you know I think sixty or seventy or seventy or eighty percent of our our beer was was draft beer. Everyone drank draft beer. Yeah, and um, we you know it was it was taking us eighteen or nineteen seconds to pour every draft. Yeah, and that was the issue. So we went to Vegas to the bar and and restaurant show whatever, and we we found a system which would bring the pouring time per pint down to, I think, around about 11 seconds. So anyway, we bought it and we came, came back and um, we, we, we installed, it took about a week to install the system in, in there and it was all about you know, a, a thicker pipe and thicker, a bigger, bigger pouring, pouring and then, but you had to keep it cold and you had to keep the gas. So you know, it, was, it was a system. You had, had, we had put a whole new container behind the, the Barusti, you know, the old Barusti. And we put this in and that first day that we put it in and we started it on whatever Friday, whatever it was, the next, we did a million. Wow. Put on 150,000 that night, literally. And then every day from then, a million, a million, a million, a million on those busy nights. So it paid, and, paid for the uh, Las Vegas trip many times over. It paid for itself uh, a thousand, thousands and thousands of times over, yeah? And then, and then our next our next issue was the was the um, which was holding back payment. Oh, it was, it was a payment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it was all credit card, and people would put it, and it took the credit card. You know, had to connect in, and it was slow. Yeah, and cash had been a lot a lot quicker. But then you had to have all the cash. But now it was a credit card. But the, and these tools were taking time. So we. Um, we went to Visa and whatever the company was, it was Network or whatever, and we said to them, okay, we've got a huge problem. You know, it's taking our guys, because you know, the waiters were doing the payment. Every time you serve a beer, you've got to get payment. And whether you're one beer or 10, or they've had a meal, it's the same, same length of time. And most people were going to the bar and buying two or three drinks, you know, and that, and that was it. So there's a huge amount of time was being, being spent. And anyway, they went and they created a new system for us. I mean, we were, we were, so much money was going through Barusti that they actually went and created the system. And, you know, we took the, the, the waiting time from, you know, two minutes per transaction or whatever down to, you know, 40 seconds or something ridiculous. 
and that spiked the, the, the sales up a huge amount again. Yeah. So just a you know, little sort of time in motion and, and studies on, on that front. Good, good. And then, then we built a new kitchen at the back um, and rebuilt the Brusty, and then that just that took us again. Yeah. I think at, at the end, yeah, we, were, we were doing about 100 million when I left, just under 100 million. And if you, if you equate that in today's prices, we would be doing about 150, 160 million a, a year. And um, yeah, so it was, it was huge, huge, huge revenue. And, and it was a lot more than Le Meridian by itself, right? Because I remember one of the first, uh, first evenings I went when, and again, it, this was not someone working for Le Meridian, so it was, you know, fig figures that were made up out of thin air, but, but they factored that the bar was making two or three times the, the revenue of the hotel itself. No, it wasn't that much. I think, I think to be honest, I think the, the bar and the hotel made, made sort of the similar amounts. Yeah. Similar amounts. That would make more sense. And in terms of first and, and foremost, could, could you tell us a little bit about what your uh, projects are, including your property up, up in uh, North Yorkshire near Harrogate? No, so we, we, we were in partnership with Thomas Cook, mm -hmm. running their, their branded hotels long haul. Mm -hmm. So we had just taken our first one in, in um, Maldives uh, under the Smartline brand. And then we had um, one we'd just broken ground in Mauritius with the Casa Cook. Uh, Casa Cook and, and Cook's Club are there, are the, are there, were theirs. And that, I mean, they're, they're being taken on by Fosun and, and Tom's Cook now. They're, they're lifestyle brands. And um, so we were, we were in sort of contract with them to, to run their brand because they you know, they were happy running some of their hotels in Europe, but they didn't know long haul. Yeah. And we've got a very powerful API um, system which, which links tour operators, blue chip tour operators, directly with Hotels PMS, mm -hmm. and uh, which gives you the f dynamic control of your tour operator rates, which is quite mm -hmm. unique. No one, no one has that because, you know, your traditional tour operator contracts are negotiated, the at ITB or, 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 or world travel market and I mean nowadays they're done separately but you know and you have your year-long contract and those are kind of the, the rates that get fed in and that's it our system allows you to dynamically change those rates so if you want to go you know, you're on with British Airways holidays or Virgin holidays or, or, or Sovereign or any of those you can literally change dynamically within seconds see their rates on online changing and, that, and it's, it's quite a game changer so that's so because you know, Thomas Cook, long haul, they could say guarantee 30% or 40% of the rooms, we would bring in in the rest. So we've got this very powerful API system, which, which links in. Mm -hmm. um, and we were in France, but obviously, and then we had Zanzibar coming up and we were looking at Africa and then Thomas Cook went bust. Mm -hmm. So all our properties, and we'd sort of really gone in with Thomas Cook and not concentrated on anything else. Anyway, um, we're, it looks like the Mauritius project will still carry on with, with any luck. Um, we're looking for Maldives again, but Maldives is going to be a hard sell for a long time, unless it's a, it's a running project, um, obviously not branded, unless a brand wanted to come in with us. Mm -hmm. And um, we and our API and be able to sell, sell in to, to, to the UK and European market. Um, so, we could, uh, so Mauritius is coming on again. We're building three hotels in Ethiopia. Um, which will two and others have in one place called Adama just outside. And they will um, be, um, they, we're building a brand for the owner. 
so we, we will we will manage it and uh, under his brand and then we've got two projects which we're looking for brands at the moment to partnership uh, partner us in um cameroon mm -hmm. um and then possibly we've been negotiating cape verde and benin and various places west africa seems to be the hot place mm -hmm. on um, and that's really where we are, and that's what we're we're looking at. And um, you know, our partnership with Livet. So we've got the APA part, and then we've got our our lifestyle FMB and club and beach club partnership, which is all about beach clubs and mm -hmm. I say vibey dining and that. Um, and so they they come and they are our partners as management partners to do that side, and then we obviously specialise in the room side. Fantastic. And the property in Yorkshire comes under that. And the first and that's, uh, yeah, not so much. Um, it's it's it's, it's a three four star property, yeah. um, the, the owners of of uh, Liverton, um in Dubai, their parents own that. Okay. And they said, "Would you mind taking it over?" And we opened, and, and it was a, co a coaching group hotel. Mm -hmm. And uh, after after COVID, when it opened in August, there were no so we had to almost start from scratch. Yes. Uh, with no rooms. And we first month we did 77%. And last right. month we did almost in September we came in almost 80%. Absolutely a new market. Not a single booking from Boston. Um, and so that was just driving the OTAs, getting at the top, being the first, first of the first, getting the pricing right, yield management, etc. And we're about to start a big entertainment program there now as well. Fantastic. And Coffee Planet is still still busy and still going. How many? Oh, Coffee Planet is a great, great success. You know, coffee, booze and coffee, people drink. It doesn't <laughs> matter whether you're going through a session or not, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, we started that in 2005. And, you know, 2009, you had that a huge recession. Mm -hmm. But there again, you know, we, we saw an opportunity. We, we, we brought in coffee on the go. Mm -hmm. And no one was serving. You know, we, we saw the idea in the UK. And... Uh, serving 100% gourmet coffee on the go at petrol stations. No one was doing it. Yeah. And we brought it in. Now we've got a roastery which can roast 300 tons a month. Mm -hmm. We do every sector of the market. And, you know, so, so that's, again, you know, looking, you know, we, we can never get too many hotels, restaurants, um, whatever, you know, serving Coffee Planet. And it's still going from strength to strength. It, it, it's well, in yeah, Dubai. Where, where else? Yeah, yeah. Are? COVID hasn't helped anyone in any business. No. But it's, it's doing well. You know. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thank you so much for, for your valued time and for giving us a, an overview of a fascinating and, and super successful career. And I'm sure there's still much more to, more to come. <laughs> but, um, uh, hope, hopefully we'll see you somewhere and we can all travel again soon, whether that's South Africa for rugby or... Dubai again in Barasti after the sevens or or in North York or, or, or wherever. wherever.